You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Well, uh, thank you for coming. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and for those who are watching online, uh, welcome. Um, I'm David. I'm one of the elders here, and I get the privilege of uh, preaching God's Word. Well, as I was praying and thinking about uh, what to preach on today, the last Sunday of 2021, uh, I was reminded of a talk given by uh, a British pastor that I respect on the topic of spiritual zeal. And it led me to the verse in Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 19, where Jesus says, Be zealous and repent. Now, I've, as I've been recently just reflecting on the seasons of my own life when my heart was zealous for Christ and fellowship with Jesus was more intense and intimate than it is now, it made me wonder, how do I rekindle that fire and vibrant desire for being with Jesus and living to please Him? Today, after some prayer and study of the context of Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. I I want to share with you Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, which I believe is needed for us today as we close out another year and look ahead to a new year in just a few days. Would you pray with me? God, would you come and ignite a burning desire to love Jesus and to please you in all that we do. And do this by the work of your Spirit in our hearts, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever watched a a video clip of someone um, who genuinely can't sing, uh, trying out for American Idol or X Factor, right, a singing competition? But he or she, she comes out, sings a popular song, but they can't hold a note and they painfully make sounds that are unpleasant and cringeworthy. The judges abruptly stop the audition and tell the contestant that singing is not their thing and that they won't be getting through to the next round. Now, what is unbelievable is that these horrible singers actually think that they can sing and compete in this competition with great singers. These contestants are shocked by the judges' reaction when they're told that they won't be making it in the music industry. Now, I wonder, why didn't their family and friends who care for them tell them the truth about their inability to sing, let alone win a singing competition? Now, these types of auditions make for great TV, but what is tragic is, is that they don't realize, they didn't realize their inability of singing and they're shocked to hear the fact that they can't sing and that they shouldn't pursue a music career. Now, do you think it is possible that you and I could have a mistaken or even a completely wrong self-evaluation about our spiritual condition, not unlike these delusional singers that I mentioned? 
Well, I want to explore this possibility of having an unfortunately false view of our spiritual condition, the problem of being lukewarm, and the solution to this serious problem, looking at Jesus' words written to an ancient church in Laodicea, which I believe can be so relevant for us today. I want us to look at three things in our text. Number one, the problem of spiritual lukewarmness. Secondly, we'll look at the solution for spiritual lukewarmness and being zealous. And then lastly, we'll look at how to cultivate holy zeal. Now, looking at verses 15 through 17, the problem that this church had was not financial. And it wasn't a scandal of a narcissistic leader but it was that their self-evaluation of their spiritual condition was completely at odds with Jesus' assessment of their condition. The Laodicean church thought they were, they thought very highly of themselves. They thought they were pretty awesome. They assumed they were spiritually rich because they had economic wealth. They thought they had prospered, which led them to think that they needed nothing from God. They were self-sufficient and independent. Now, what's wrong with wealth? Doesn't material wealth come from the Lord? A rich and prosperous church could do a lot of good in the world, right? But Jesus said, you guys got it all wrong. In fact, you are deceived. Your spiritual condition is worse than you could have ever imagined. Jesus said, that the church's true condition was that they were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What? Right? How could a group of, of people in the church assess themselves completely different than how Jesus saw it? Now, if you were to choose, who do you think would be right? Well, the answer is Jesus is right all the time, of course, So what was going on? Why is there such a disconnect in the church's evaluation of themselves versus Jesus' scathing and revealing assessment about them? Well, part of the answer can be found in studying the ancient city of Laodicea. See, this city was very wealthy. It was a banking center. It was an important commercial town in the region. They were famous for their soft black wool, which were manufactured into valuable clothes and expensive woven carpets. Also, Laodicea had a medical school which had a secret formula for an effective and widely known eye ointment, which cured eye defects. And this product was exported all over the Roman world. The city had a very self-sufficient spirit due largely to its wealth, so much so that when they experienced an earthquake in A.D. 60 and destroyed buildings, they actually declined imperial disaster relief and rebuilt the city with their own coffers, with their own money, with its burgeoning industries of banking and textile and pharmaceuticals. You can't help but draw some comparisons to Seattle, with many startups which brought vast wealth into this region, companies like Amazon, Starbucks, and Microsoft, just to name a few. 
Laodicea had an independent streak about the city, and its citizens were capable, do-it-yourself kind of people whose wealth brought them the appearance and illusion of having control in their lives. This self-sufficient spirit which pervaded the city made its way into the church also affecting a false self-assessment about their true condition which Jesus exposed and lovingly warned them to change. So what was wrong with this church? What warranted Jesus' strong words of rebuke and correction? Where did this church get it wrong? Well, Jesus rebukes them for being spiritually lukewarm. They were neither hot nor cold. These Christians were comfortable, complacent. They were self-satisfied with their spiritual condition. And everyone in the church at Laodicea would have understood Jesus' metaphor of lukewarm water. You see, Laodicea's water supply was known to be lukewarm. And this city was between two cities. One was Heriopolis, which was famous for its hot springs and its health benefits. And the other was Colossae, another neighboring city, which was known for its cold water prize for its purity. Now, for all of the city's riches, Laodicea had poor, tepid, and lukewarm water. Jesus was saying to them that their spiritual condition was like the lukewarm temperature of the city's water. And because their spiritual condition was also lukewarm, the warning was that he would spit them out of his mouth. This is a strong, strong warning by Jesus. Now, what would be so disgusting and unpleasant that would make you spit something out of your mouth because of its temperature? Well, what's more unpleasant than lukewarm coffee, right? Well, you you spit it out of your mouth. It's disgusting. Coffee cannot and should not be lukewarm, right? It has to be either really hot or ice cold. Amen? Amen? Yes. How about warm ice cream soup? Truly, truly disgusting. And yet, Jesus' warning is clear. A church who is lukewarm would be spit out of his mouth. And Jesus is also warning us about being spiritually lukewarm, which sadly dulls our senses to our true spiritual condition and blurs our vision of Jesus Christ. And this church actually believed that they were doing okay. They told themselves, we're rich. We have become wealthy We have need of nothing. It seems the church really didn't totally reject Jesus, but Jesus was just an additive to their lives. They didn't have a desperate need for Jesus and this clinging on to him because life wasn't so bad. You see, they were not delighting in Jesus and loving him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They tempered their affection for Jesus, devoting their lives to Jesus just enough to feel good about themselves. Their material wealth and self-sufficient spirit caused them to have a lukewarm spiritual condition, and it caused them to live a convenient, 
comfortable and acceptable life while being part of the church. Jesus exposes this church's superficial and shallow appearance of faith and directly address their delusional view of themselves by pointing out their true spiritual condition. Jesus says, Don't you know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Your material wealth in fine wool clothing cannot cover the fact that you are naked spiritually. Your city may export the most effective eye ointment that treat eye defects, but it can't cure your spiritual blindness. All the gold and riches you possess in your city center can't change your spiritually bankrupt condition. You possess nothing of worth and value in the eyes of God, though you possess material wealth. Ouch. Right? It seems really harsh, but it was true. Is it possible that we have misdiagnosed our true spiritual condition and really just limping along in our relationship with Jesus, pretending that everything is okay? Maybe you've just settled for less than what God wants for you. You don't see how you can change, so you just stopped praying, hoping and expecting anything good from Jesus. Or are you satisfied with your life and content with the fact that you are not as bad as those really evil people? You tell yourself, at least I'm not like those really wicked folks who traffic people, who murder and steal. It's never enough to just get by as a Christian and be on cruise control in our relationship with Jesus. You see, he saved us, but he doesn't end there. He wants us to love him with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and he wants us to be his hands and feet through works of service for others. So we preach and share the gospel to those who are near and those who are far. And how can we do that when we are lukewarm? We can't. And sometimes caring for those outside of ourselves can be the very thing that awakens us to our need for Christ. So it's out of His grace that He calls us out of ourselves because if we are not desperate for Christ, then we will simply grow lukewarm. We have to be honest about our true spiritual condition and allow the Holy Spirit to shed His light into our hearts. Don't say that you're okay when you are not. And on the other hand, maybe you're not pretending to be okay. And spiritually, you agree with Jesus' assessment. You say, yeah, I'm wretched, I'm miserable, I'm poor, I'm blind, I'm naked, and then some. But then you're feeling hopeless, bound by guilt and shame, and you're feeling trapped and unable to see a way out of the dark and dire spiritual condition that you're in. Well, there is hope for you today. While Jesus does not hold back his piercing and truthful assessment of this church's real spiritual condition, 
What is so hopeful is that Jesus does not leave them in their condition, but lovingly and graciously invites this church and us to change and be transformed. What does Jesus offer them and invite them into to combat their lukewarm condition? Look at verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus offered to them grace. He extended mercy for their lukewarm condition. Jesus offered them spiritual riches, gold refined by fire, white garments to, of, right, of his righteousness to cover their shame and nakedness, and ointment to heal their spiritual blindness. Notice Jesus invites his church to, to buy gold and white garments and eye ointment, but with what money? Right? Didn't Jesus just blast this church about the fact that they're wretched and that they're poor and they're naked? Jesus, being fully aware of their condition, was inviting them to come to him just as they are in their messed up condition and to offer themselves in their true condition without pretense before Jesus. Jesus invites us as well we who are spiritually poor, to come as we are to Jesus, to come to him who is willing and able to change our condition. We can't fix ourselves up and stitch up our wounds or cover up our deficiencies to make things right enough to come to Jesus. It is Jesus who does the healing and saving and mending. It is Jesus who does the work of covering us and forgiving us and accepting us and approving us before God. Jesus loves us. He loves you. And he desires for us to come to him just as we are, to receive his offer of salvation and forgiveness and redemption. Jesus says he loves us enough to correct us and discipline us by pointing out not just our defects and what's wrong with us in our lukewarm condition, but Jesus also calls us to something better, a life burning with holy zeal and transforming repentance. Look at verse 19. To those those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Jesus said to the church to be zealous. Don't stay lukewarm. Now, zeal is not a word we often use today, but we see zealous people all around us. Now, when we say the word zeal, what, what do we mean? Zeal defined in the dictionary is a strong feeling of interest and great enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. We see this kind of singular habit of mind in sports with the likes of Michael Jordan, who probably is the greatest basketball player in NBA history. In his documentary, The Last Dance, 
Jordan, he doesn't mince words about how badly he wanted to win when he said, my mentality was to go out and win at any cost. If you don't want to live that regimented mentality, then you don't need to be alongside of me. While Jordan, he set a high bar on what it took to be his teammate, you could see clearly that his burning desire to win trumped everything else. How about you? What are you zealous about? What are you most passionate about that gets you amped up and excited and highly emotional? Sadly, too many Christians are expending their energies and time to be zealous over matters that Jesus was not talking about in this passage and giving undue priority to their zeal over and against holy zeal. We have allowed political zeal to demonize fellow Christians who are on the other side of our political views. It seems there is more zeal among Christians around who are for or against COVID mandates than there are Christians who are zealous to keep the unity of the Spirit and zeal to consider others better than ourselves, looking not only at our own interests, but the interests of others. We have allowed the news and social media to stoke whatever zeal we have for hot-button topics to keep us engaged and even enraged for the things that we are most passionate about. Now, being zealous in politics is not wrong in and of itself, but when it becomes the primary lens in which you see the world, then it becomes a problem for anyone, but especially followers of Christ. Every Christian is called to represent our citizenship in God's kingdom, while at the same time being good citizens in the country we live in. Now, having strong feelings for or against COVID mandates is not wrong in and of itself, but when it takes front and center of how you lead a conversation and and have a relationship with others, then it becomes an issue for our witness of Jesus to a watching world. We are called as Christians to keep first things first by prioritizing God's glory and subjugating all other passions under the lordship of King Jesus. When we think about zeal in religion, we can't help but see it in a negative light because it is so often associated with extremists and fanatics who are willing to do anything in the name of their God even giving up their lives, the ultimate sacrifice. But could there be a holy, redeemed, and Christian kind of zeal which we need to pursue and ask God to give to His church? In our attempt to distance ourselves from the religious fanatics, have we forgotten to fight the temptation to remain lukewarm and be consumed by zeal for lesser things? Certainly, we need zeal in life to fully live for God. And Christ invites us to a life burning in love for Him. The zeal Jesus is calling us to pursue 
and kindle in our hearts and pray for is holy zeal. A fire that comes down from heaven into our hearts with the presence of the Holy Spirit. J.C. Ryle, an Anglican bishop in the last century, he defined zeal this way. Zeal in Christianity is a burning desire to please God, to do His will, and to advance His glory in the world in every possible way. Christian zeal, when burning in one's heart, compels us to make any sacrifice, to go through any inconvenience, to deny ourselves to any amount, to suffer and to work hard, if only we can please God and honor Jesus our Lord. It's a person who lives for one thing and consumed within their heart about one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Jesus is inviting us to be consumed by this holy zeal, a burning desire to please God which takes priority in any circumstance we find ourselves a zeal working in our hearts that says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. A zealous person repeats the words of Apostle Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. A person could be in, in a season of sickness or trials, but a zealous Christian maintains a fervent spirit to please God because the Holy Spirit provides and fuels, and fuels us to maintain a zealous and loving heart for Jesus our Lord. This grace of zeal that causes our heat in our heart to rise, the temperature to rise, to please God and honor Jesus is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And we are responsible to keep fanning this flame of holy zeal in our hearts. Jesus says, be zealous. But how? How? How do we kindle a holy fire in our hearts which burns to please God, to do His will and advance God's glory in every possible way? Well, spiritual zeal, like all spiritual matters for Christians, begins and ends with Christ. And if we want to grow in our spiritual zeal, we have to, number one, think about Jesus. Think about his life, his work on the cross, his resurrection, his words, his ascension, his power, his reign, and his lordship over everything. It's like when you fall in love with someone, you look into their eyes. If we want to love God with all of our heart, then we have to look on Jesus we don't want to be religiously zealous or be jerks for Jesus. Instead, we want to be zealously loving Christ, embodying Him in our words, actions, and life. But to love God with a burning desire, we have to look to Jesus so that we can love Him more. 
We cannot love someone that we do not know. So let's look on Jesus in this passage and see what it says. Look at verse 14. And to the angel in the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of God's creation. Notice how Jesus is identified before he even addressed the church in Laodicea. It matters who Jesus says he is. So who did he say he is? First of all, we see that Jesus is the Amen. Amen comes from a Hebrew word meaning truth, affirmation, and certainty. It is referring to something that is fixed, that is firm and unchangeable. Jesus is our Amen, who perfectly responded to God's will to obey and suffer. We may falter, but Jesus never does. Jesus is also the faithful and true witness. You see, everything Jesus said is the truth, and everything that he does is trustworthy and reliable. You can bank on Jesus who will never fail us because what he says he will always do and follow through on. It's not about my truth or your truth. It's about Jesus who is the truth. He reflects God's glory perfectly because he lived this life completely anchored on God's will. And while we may be imperfect, We can trust and rest in Jesus' character. Lastly, Jesus is the beginning of God's creation, which means Christ himself is the source of creation. This doesn't mean that Jesus was created by God. No, it means that the uncreated, eternal Son of God created everything by his power, and there is nothing that was created apart from the Son of God. Jesus has absolute power over the entire world because he is the source of all that has been created we can worship jesus who is the author of creation who made you and who made me who holds the balance of the world in his hands so we don't have to be anxious it is vitally important to have the right view of who Jesus is, because if we get Jesus' identity and his character wrong, it will taint our image of God and distorts God's good purposes for us and his world. Because Jesus is the truth, faithful, trustworthy, and the sovereign ruler of all that's been created, we can trust him, worship him, give him our lives, and live holy for Jesus There is nothing in our lives that we can't entrust to Jesus because he is faithful, trustworthy, worthy of all of our worship. Do you know this Jesus? Do you talk with Jesus? Ask the Holy Spirit to bless you with greater love for Jesus, our Lord. Love him, honor him, live for him, and give your life to him. Amen? Second practical way we kindle this holy zeal is to be in God's word. Is your heart cold and numb towards God? Are you feeling distant from God, not knowing what your purpose is in life? 
Have you fallen into spiritual complacency and, and feel like you are just going through the motion being religious? Go to God's Word and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the words of Scripture to see with new eyes. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the power to obey God's Word. Spiritual zeal is fruit from the spiritual food that we consume in Scripture. We are what we eat, right? We cannot manufacture spiritual zeal. It is the fruit of spiritual food that we eat. The very words of God nurture us to grow up into Him. And just like nutritious food that fuels our bodies to grow and to heal, so we need God's Word to grow up spiritually and ignite a holy zeal for Jesus. If we think about what it was like to fall in love, and we thought about this person often, every day and night. How about now that you're married? Are you thinking about this person and growing in intimacy? Do they know you better than when you were newlyweds, your shortcomings and and all, and still love you and believe in you and want to see you grow to be the man or woman God wants you to be? Jesus knows you completely, and yet he loves you completely. Sometimes we don't want to look at God's word because it is a mirror. It reveals our sin, and this is painful. Know that in Christ, revealing our sin before him does not mean shame and hopelessness. It is the beginning of new life. Grace does not mean that we get to remain in our sin, but grace means that Christ's righteousness covers our shame and we are fed and empowered by his word to become more like Christ. Don't be afraid to come before God's word. Let it examine you. Jesus is inviting you to feast in his word and to abide in him. In the last chapter in the Gospel of Luke, there are two disciples who are headed home on the road to Emmaus after the events of Jesus' crucifixion. And along the way, Jesus walked alongside these two disciples who didn't recognize him at first. Jesus, he does a Bible study with them, showing them that all the events of his life, his death, And his resurrection was foretold in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, And when Jesus abruptly leaves after sharing a meal with these disciples, and their eyes are open, these two disciples said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? God's word and his truth can light a fire in our hearts when we apply our mind, heart, and soul and devote our life to to being in the word and obeying what it says to do. Ask the Holy Spirit to ignite a holy zeal through God's holy word. So how do we practically kindle a holy zeal? First, we said we need to think about the person and work of Jesus. Secondly, be in the word. And lastly, 
Be around people who are zealous. We all know that one bad apple spoils the whole bushel. But we also know that one holy, zealous person can affect those all around them. There is a contagious aspect about a person who is zealous for Jesus. The company we keep influences us in more ways than one. If you have ever been around a campfire, you know that when hot burning firewood brought together, the fire gets hotter and bigger. And so it is with cultivating holy zeal for Jesus. Be around others who are zealous for Jesus. Who are you around that's zealous for God and challenges you to love Jesus more and to please him in all that you do? Ask God to send someone who can share that burning desire to please God with you. Now, if you are that zealous person who loves Jesus, find others with whom you can share your zeal and pray for that fire to fill their hearts so that they can love Jesus and be consumed by God's glory. Now, if you are an ember, join others who also are small embers, and together we can ignite a holy fire for God's glory together. How can we intentionally plug into God's truth regularly? How can we keep company with others who want to follow God? These are important questions that we need to ponder as we head into the new year. Jesus commands his church to combat lukewarmness and to repent. We can't truly change our spiritual condition of lukewarmness without genuine repentance. Repentance is also a gift that God gives to us brought by the Holy Spirit. It simply means to turn away from sin and by faith turn to trust in Jesus. And in our attempts to grow in our zeal for God, we have to turn away from sin and selfish desires to turn to Jesus. He is the only one who can grow in us any spiritual goodness, including raising our spiritual temperature. So don't be discouraged if you think you cannot become zealous for God because you can't. Only God can do that in you. But you can ask for it. The Bible invites us. You have not because you ask not. You can pursue God even as he pursues you. God, or Christ rather, he ends this message to this church and to us with an invitation to dine with him. You see, it is Jesus who initiates a relationship with us as he stands at the door and knocks. He wants to share a meal with us. In this context, eating with someone meant having a loving and intimate fellowship with that person. A meal was, was shared among the closest of friends. Jesus invites us into an intimate relationship with him to share not just in his suffering, but also in his glorious, exalted throne. We will one day sit with Jesus on his throne and rule with him for those who have overcome 
and lived their lives zealously for him. He invites us to know him personally, intimately, and to be satisfied in him no matter where you, what you're going through in your life right now because he will use everything for his purpose and for his glory. Pray for holy zeal to consume you in love for Jesus and share that burning desire in love for others. Pray for that holy passion to fill our church and the churches throughout this region so that God's glory may cover the Puget Sound as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. God, we, we ask and we pray for your holy zeal, holy fire to come down in our hearts, in our church, in our families, in our communities. Ignite a holy zeal in your people throughout this region. Purify us, cleanse us, wash us, so that our desire for you will just burn so that people will see our love for you and love for others. Let it change the way we talk and think, spend our time reordering our priorities, God. Lord, ignite a holy zeal in our hearts, God, we pray. Do a work in us. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.